Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info. In many ways, the story of the COVID-19 pandemic in America is a tale of two nations. Roughly 600,000 Americans have died from the virus, but numbers show poor communities and communities of color have been hit especially hard. And the public health emergency, where expert care often means the difference between life and death, has also revealed another disparity. High-level medical care is hard to come by in rural America. Many remote communities and states across the country struggled with a lack of access to medical care even before the pandemic. And Georgia is no different. The state's far-flung counties saw a record number of hospital closures in 2020 and exponentially higher death rates. Rural America is home to few doctors, few ICU beds, and not enough replacement staff when healthcare workers get sick. This is Georgia Today. I'm Steve Fennessy. In this episode, we look at what happens when a community's last remaining hospital shuts down and residents are left with just one ambulance. I'm joined by Olivia Goldhill, an investigative reporter who covers the pandemic for online health news site STAT. Olivia, since the beginning of the pandemic over a year ago, we have heard a lot about how the coronavirus has revealed vast inequities within the United States. We've heard about how the virus has disproportionately affected people of color, people struggling with poverty, people in rural areas. And last week in the online health news site STAT, you wrote in depth about two rural counties in southwest Georgia, Terrell and Randolph counties. What brought you there in the first place? The hospital in Randolph closed in the middle of the pandemic last year. After 73 years of service, Patterson Hospital at the Southwest Georgia Regional Medical Center is preparing to close its doors. I was devastated. I was born here. For residents like Brenda Clark, there are many concerns about the only hospital in rural Randolph County closing. Closing the hospital, especially the ER, we gonna have more death. And I started to look at the statistics across the U.S. and in the counties where hospitals shut, there was a far higher death rate than in the states overall. So you could see the impact of not having local health care. When COVID-19 hits rural communities, there's little backup in their health care systems. Nursing staffs are strained and doctors are often few and far between. And in Randolph and Terrell, it was 2.8 times higher than Georgia overall, which was the highest difference that we saw across the U.S. And there was a really high rate of coronavirus in this area. One in every 200 people living in those counties died of the virus. So if you were living in Randolph County, your chances of dying from coronavirus were almost three times as high as if you were living in, say, Metro Atlanta? I mean, you can't draw, say definitively for any one case that not having a hospital would make a difference. But there's only one ambulance in the county, which means that during COVID, when that ambulance had to travel an hour's drive away to take someone to hospital in Albany, that ambulance would be out of commission for three hours for every trip. And with COVID, you often need to hospitalize quite suddenly and quickly. And it helps to have early diagnosis and it helps to have treatment early on when you need it. 
roughly 25% of people living in those two counties are in poverty. So large numbers don't own cars. And it's always been an issue there, of, you know, when someone had to go to hospital. When you know an ambulance is going to take you an hour's drive away and you have no idea how to get back, that's going to be a deterrent. The plan is to close the doors here at Patterson Hospital for good, meaning patients will have three options, traveling 25 miles to Eufaula, 45 miles to Albany, or 55 miles to Columbus. It's also important to note that families should make a plan to know where they're going to go in emergency situations when these doors close, whether it be Eufaula, Albany, or Columbus. The hospital that closed in Cuthbert, Georgia, was called Southwest Georgia Regional Medical Center, but most people, it sounds like, refer to it not by that kind of clunky name, but by its original name, Patterson Hospital. What was the significance of, of the history of that particular hospital there? Yeah, so this small city, I think it's three and a half thousand people. There's a really long medical tradition there. And if you go to the Chamber of Commerce, there's this amazing exhibition dedicated to the hospital and the various doctors who have worked there. Patterson Hospital is absolutely the center of the town. You know, you kind of can't drive anywhere without running into it. Obviously, it's a huge employer, so a lot of people work there. And historically as well, this was a hospital, you know, that was always open and warm to black patients. You know, there are plenty of people who still remember health segregation. Kennesaw State University has released the architectural drawings of hospitals built across Georgia in the 1940s through the early 60s. All of them were segregated hospitals. African-Americans could not get care in predominantly white hospitals. And when there were such high rates of COVID and death rates in that area, it was so shocking on top of that to then lose your place of care. And the hospital stopped accepting COVID patients right from the beginning of the pandemic. Why, why wasn't it providing COVID support in, in the initial days of the pandemic? The hospital, it was managed by a, a larger healthcare system, Phoebe Putney, and it was management's decision from Albany, which is 45 miles away. They didn't think the hospital was capable of accepting COVID patients, which this I heard from, from various experts wasn't that unusual decision early in the pandemic. We didn't know that much about the virus. And some places did decide, let's just put all the COVID patients together in one place in the hospitals that are the most advanced. This Cuthbert Hospital, it didn't have a ventilator, but it took quite a while for people to realize that a large number of COVID patients can be managed, you know, without ventilators, just kind of the, the standard care that you get at local hospitals. Albany, Georgia was very much in the news in the early days of the pandemic back in April. Governor Brian Kemp said Albany in Doherty County, Georgia, is a major hotspot for the virus, and it's spreading rapidly. Yesterday at noon, there were 267 cases. By 4 p.m. today, there were 462. Kemp is sending in National Guard troops to help support healthcare workers there. And what did you see of the impact of the virus on that area of rural Georgia? So as you say, early on, it was terrible. Nobody has been untouched. I think everyone knows someone there who's died. Albany City Commission Ward 6, represented by Demetrius Young. Young says he lost a lot of people he knew to COVID. We had the highest, in this zip code, had the highest rate of diabetes, hypertension. 
we were all kind of living with this fear of the virus was, you know, going to get you and literally kill you. As you point out, the crisis in rural health care was not something that was just brought about by the pandemic, but was sort of exacerbated by it. Why is it so hard in America today to operate a, a financially sustainable hospital in, in the rural areas? What I've heard from, from experts who study this is, is there hasn't been a really sustained effort from the government to address this. You know, there's been patchwork policies here and there. Steve Watley wears several hats in this area, including the mayor of Cuthbert and the chairman of the Randolph County Hospital Authority. He says for the 26 years he's been on the board, finances have always been a concern. I would say that COVID pushed us over the edge, but we were struggling before that also. Unfortunately, this situation is all too familiar across the country, even during a pandemic. And we do know that when hospitals close, it's much more likely to happen if that hospital is in an African-American community, that when a hospital closes, sometimes they're replaced with, you know, an urgent care center or something, and sometimes there's just nothing, it's an empty building. So I think there is a sense that race plays a factor in terms of how policies are made and the attention paid to the community's needs. Whether it's a question of race, whether it's a question of poverty or both, uh, there's not a lot of political influence there. And so it's not a topic that necessarily rises to the top of discussion in the state capital. The population has declined. So the, the population of those two counties, um, Randolph and, and Terrell, are just over 15,000 at the moment. And, you know, with there's a few lower population, then there's going to, I guess, fewer votes and, and less political clout. Um and so maybe that's part of why their voice isn't being heard. How did the place strike you when, when you first went there? Because you spent uh, a bit of time down there. Um, what, were, what were your impressions of the place? It's obvious when you arrive that it's a place of inequality. You know, there's kind of the very traditional Georgian houses, you know, with their pillars and, and, and beautiful gardens. And then not that far away, there'll be public housing. And it's very, very rural. So, you know, there's wherever you go, you're driving past the, the peanut fields and the cotton fields and all the, the red clay, which is very distinctive of the area. But it's quite, it's so quiet that it didn't even feel sleepy to me. You know, it felt more than that. It felt desolate in places, you know, where I was always surprised to see a kid riding his bike down the street just because I hadn't seen anyone factories and uh, lumberyards have closed over the past few years and decades, which obviously means less employment, which means more and more people leaving. It's not hard to imagine if this continues for a few more decades that it will just become ghost towns, these areas. Stay with us for more Georgia Today. Up next, we'll hear more about one Southwest Georgia family struggle to find COVID-19 treatment and what their story tells us about the rural health care gap in Georgia. I'm Steve Fennessy. If you like hearing the news from around the state here on Georgia Today, you'll probably like hearing how Georgia's agriculture economy feeds the country and the world on a fork in the road. I'm David Zelski, and on the Fork in the Road podcast, we feature stories from Georgia's farmers, fishermen, merchants, artisans, chefs, and others who help provide Georgia-grown products to folks in the Peach State and beyond. Find it online at gpb.org slash podcast or download it on your favorite podcast platform. 
This is Georgia Today. I'm Steve Fennessy. I'm joined by investigative reporter Olivia Goldhill from STAT, an online health news site. Olivia says the pandemic highlighted the state's critical shortage of rural hospitals. On top of everything, just to know that you have to fight so hard to get care and travel so far is an added burden at a time where people really couldn't cope. When you were down there, who did you talk to who was especially affected by the COVID-19 pandemic? I mean, I spoke to several people who had lost loved ones. And there was one woman I spoke with, Latasha Taylor, and her mother, aunt, and uncle had all died of COVID. And they were all very close. So this is, you know, the majority of her family who had died one after the other. And so they lived in Dawson, which is in Terrell, kind of halfway between Randolph and, and Albany. It was brutal. And her mother was there for months and and she wasn't able to visit and she had to talk to the doctors on the phone while her mother was unconscious and and deteriorating and it was devastating. Her mother was 62 when she died. And were it not a pandemic, were it not, you know, the coronavirus, would they have normally taken them to the the hospital in Cuthbert? Because the the hospital in Cuthbert was open then, right? Yes, it was open, though I think it wasn't accepting COVID patients. And as it was, her mother, you know, got sick and her mom kind of was like, well, I'm just going to stay put and see if this fever goes away. And it didn't. So, you know, a couple of days later, it was Natasha's cousin who drove her her mom, Kat, all the way to Columbus. When you first met Latasha Taylor, tell us a little bit more about about her and how she's coping with these unimaginable losses. Her mother was, she's such, you could just see in the photos, such a character. And she would dress in these matching, you know, like really glamorous dresses with these wide brim hats. And she would always be at church and always sociable. And Natasha said, you know, she'd always be digging in the yard and trying to kind of call her to come over. And she would be trying to avoid um, all the chores that she had to do. And yeah, and she was only 62, which is really young. Um, And when she was in hospital, you know, she was there for months on a ventilator because she wasn't moving. It meant that her body started to deteriorate and the doctors called her and said, you know, we're going to have to amputate both her legs from the knee down and both her hands, which, I mean, it's like, it just feels so barbaric that this is something that was happening in, you know, this century. And she said, well, I have to be the one to tell her. And even though her mother was on life support, on a ventilator and wasn't conscious, you know, she went and spoke to her in person and said that, you know, she could see her mom, you know, there was a tear, she was crying. And, you know, the doctor said, if we can't, you know, do the amputation, the other option is just, we make sure she isn't in pain and she dies. And so that's what they did a few days later. It's just staggering to think about, you know, this poor woman lying unconscious in a hospital bed and withering away to the point where she would have to have her limbs amputated. And you talked about, I mean, we're 21st century America. That seems staggering. When the hospital systems were overwhelmed, I mean, the healthcare system couldn't cope and the, and the care they got, I mean, was was too often limited. I mean, just because it was so overwhelmed and to also see your hospital close, it does just make you feel like, you know, you can't get proper healthcare. One of the questions all of these stories bring up is, 
What's to be done? I mean, is there any sort of concerted effort on the state or the federal level to address all of these closures of rural hospitals, not just in Georgia, but across America? One thing is Medicaid expansion. There are a lot of people who think that that will help significantly. And Georgia is kind of hopefully going to be one of the ones to finally enact that. Georgia House Minority Leader Bob Trammell, along with Democratic candidates for the state house, say Medicaid needs to expand in Georgia. And our rural hospitals are more likely to close because Georgia is a state that hasn't expanded Medicaid when compared to hospitals, similarly situated hospitals in the 38 states that have expanded Medicaid. How would that help specifically? What would that do? It just means that there are more people who can go and get care you know, and have that covered and that the hospital will get the compensation from the government. Obviously, insurance is more lucrative than Medicaid, but still, it's better to have that than to have no patients. But I think there needs to be a look at kind of what are the hospitals that are absolutely required and need to remain open. And then funding or maybe even incentives for whoever manages them to make sure that they do stay around and are there to support the community. Olivia, you talked to a number of people while you were down in Randolph and Terrell counties, and one of the people was the mayor of Shelman, which is a small town in Randolph County. What what story did he tell you about COVID-19? He has lived there his whole life and, and has had family around him and is, is rightly really proud of the area and is, is the mayor there. And um, like so many, you know, he also loved a loved one to COVID. His sister died in in February of this year. Her daughters were with her when she was taken off life support. Um, and as her daughters were, were driving home from the hospital, they got rear-ended and, you know, the car flipped and, and one was driven to hospital in Albany and the other taken by helicopter to another hospital. And I, and I think just their experience really highlights how, you know, desperate the situation is without a hospital there. And, you know, Paul said he knows people who've said they just don't feel safe being somewhere without a hospital. You know, maybe they've had a heart attack in the past or something and people are, are moving away. And, you know, unless something is done, he expects that to continue to deteriorate. When you go now to the Patterson Hospital in Cuthbert, there's a sign and it says, you know, hospital closed, call 911. But, you know, if you call 911 and the ambulance is out of commission, you've got a three-hour wait. There is a clinic, but it's a clinic that there's no doctor who works at. I mean, they're nurse practitioners. And, you know, there's certain things that they can definitely do. But, you know, there's an, a lot of health care that you need an MD, a doctor for. And there's no MD that's based in, in the county working there. I'm thinking about the confluence of factors that have kind of emerged over the last year in, in rural Georgia and especially in in Randolph and Terrell counties, you have the this pandemic, which is taking so many people before their time, and and you have hospitals that are you know closing, partly a function of the pandemic, but mostly a function of factors that predated that. During your reporting, what sense you got from the people who live there, uh, the kind of effect it's having on their psyche, on on you know on their not just their physical health but their emotional health. I mean, I heard a lot about people just being scared to go out. And because it's, you know, fairly small population, you know, just knowing potentially dozens of people who died is, is horrendous for anyone. And then you've got the closure of the hospital. And there are some people kind of 
I think feeling, you know, left behind almost that like, should they move away too, but they don't necessarily have the means to, but they're worried about the lack of employment in the area, just watching your community fade away, I think, unless something is done, it won't continue. It's trauma on, on multiple yeah, levels. very, very traumatic, yeah. Is there anything to be said about how the vaccination campaign is going down there? Is there acceptance of the vaccine and, and the recognition of its importance in trying to curb this thing? The people I spoke to had got their vaccine. Some of them said, I'm, I'm scared of needles. But yeah, I said, of course, I still got my vaccine, you know, wanted it. Phoebe Putney were planning to, a mobile unit to come by and offer vaccines. But that's a huge factor as well, you know, knowing where to go to get your vaccine, especially now that there's no hospital. It's that practical element that I think is a bigger factor. Everyone I spoke to was pretty happy and excited about it, but of course that's anecdotal. My thanks to Olivia Goldhill, an investigative reporter at STAT. As COVID-19 death rates continue to fall, the Biden administration is touting its goal to vaccinate 70% of American adults. CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky recently testified before a Senate hearing about the administration's vaccination program in rural communities. Places now have pop-up sites. They have mobile vaccination units. And we're starting to see the effects of this work. We've been really successful in reaching racial and ethnic minorities in ways we hadn't up until this time. For more Georgia Today, go to gpb.org. I'm Steve Fennessy. Georgia Today is a production of Georgia Public Broadcasting. Subscribe to our show anywhere you get podcasts. Don't forget to leave us a rating and review on Apple. Jess Mador is our producer. Our engineer is Jesse Neiswanger. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.